I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, we continue the plagues that afflicted the land of Egypt. Reading about the second and third plague. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried, out to the, cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the, in the houses, in the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you once again to take your word, apply it to our hearts, keep us from being stubborn or resistant to your word, stubborn and resistant to your spirit who convicts us of sin, May we yield to him, surrender our lives to you freshly, even as we look into your word now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Some of my happiest moments as a kid were spent uh, in my grandparents' cabin somewhere in New Jersey. Uh, Behind their cabin, there was this delightful brook. It was a place where I would spend, as I recollect, most of my time when I was there on those nice summer days. Loved taking off my shoes and my socks and going into that brook and feeling the cool, bubbly water flowing over my feet, feeling the soft moss on the rocks, looking under every rock in that brook to see what treasures were underneath those rocks. It was so delightful. It was um, truly one of the highlights of my childhood to get to spend uh, those days at that place. There are only two drawbacks. Frogs and bugs. The frogs weren't a drawback for me. I liked catching them. They're only a drawback when I felt something squish under my bare foot, and I knew instantly that it had been a living creature. It was unpleasant, and I can feel it under my toes right as I'm talking to you right now. And of course, anytime you're around water on humid, in humid places, there are going to be bugs, and they're less than pleasant. But that's just the course of life in our world. We deal with the occasional frog. We deal with the bugs. Pharaoh didn't have it that easy. Frogs and bugs in quantities that were more than just a nuisance. At this point in our look through Exodus, we've been traveling with Moses and the Israelites through this experience and seeing what God is pleased to do to deliver his people from slavery. They're not out of slavery yet, but God is at work to deliver them. So far, Pharaoh is unimpressed with the mighty displays of God. At the end of chapter 7, after the Nile had been turned to blood, we read in verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. The magicians that Pharaoh had were able to turn water into blood. Pharaoh saw that. He turns away, unimpressed from what God had done through Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh is now indifferent to the commands of the Lord. There are nine plagues that all lead up to the tenth and final plague of the death of the firstborn. We've already seen the first plague, the Nile turned to blood. These plagues come in cycles of three. It goes like this, Nile to blood, frogs and gnats. The second cycle is flies, death of the livestock and boils. And then the third cycle is hail, locusts and darkness. And these are all spiraling down to that focal point of the tenth plague. The cycles show the following trend. The first plague of those three finds a meeting between Moses and Pharaoh in the morning. The second plague comes with a warning about refusing the command of the Lord. And the third plague comes suddenly without introduction or interaction with Pharaoh. We find ourselves in this first cycle, the Nile, the blood, and then frogs and gnats. The plagues 
about water and creatures seemingly insignificant as frogs and gnats, however, are not just these mighty displays of power, although they are are that. They're not just about water and these unthinking creatures, frogs and gnats. They involve thinking personalities. These plagues are engaged with persons. You have the person of Moses. You have the person of Aaron. You have the person of Pharaoh. And finally, of course, you have the person of Yahweh. These are people interacting. And you could trace the mindset of each one of these through these narratives. You could look at the mindset of Moses. You could look at the mindset of Yahweh to some degree. This morning we'll take the approach of looking in a sense at the mindset of Pharaoh and his response to these plagues. Start, of course, with the frogs. What's going on with these frogs? The plague comes on Pharaoh. We have to first note, and this shows the mindset of Pharaoh, the plague comes on Pharaoh because he refuses the word of Yahweh. The Lord commands Moses to go into Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Of course, that's the popular refrain of Exodus. It shows once again that Yahweh is working these things in order to see the deliverance of his people so that they can serve and worship him. But notice the consequence there in verse 2. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. This plague is issued with the command to Pharaoh about what he is to do. Let the people go. And it is given with the warning, if he refuses God, then God will send frogs. So, of course, because the plague comes, we glean the conclusion that Pharaoh refused. He refused to listen to the word of Yahweh. And this is important to remember that these plagues, again, are personal. There is a personal God who is personally interacting with a personal Pharaoh. And so the refusal is not of some person to some automated system, like you hanging up on that spam caller who is just an automated voice who doesn't know whether you listen or hang up. This is a personal God speaking to a mindful person, a person with a mind. Pharaoh is really interacting in a real relationship with Yahweh, and he really chooses to refuse listening to the word of God. It's not a refusal from really human to human. It's a refusal from human to a personal God. That's why this plague comes, even if it comes with these unthinking creatures. The mindset of Pharaoh in his refusal leads to him experiencing an upset to his personal world of order that has now become a world of chaos. This plague brings chaos to a person's world that previously appeared to be controllable. See how this 
personal pla- how personal the plague of frogs is. Verse 3, the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your singular house and into your singular bedroom and on your singular bed and into the houses of your singular servants and your singular people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The point is God is targeting Pharaoh personally. His house, his bedroom, his bed, his servants, his servants' houses, all of these previously controllable elements of Pharaoh's world are being turned upside down by frogs. Remember, when Pharaoh saw the Nile turned to blood, it says in 723, he turned and went into his house. Presumably, he still had access to fresh water through the pits that were dug by the Nile. And so he's able to go into his house and basically turn his back on the reality of the plague that was outside his door. God no longer allows him that luxury because he sends the frogs into the place that he tries to retreat to. Frogs, of course, are wonderful creatures. They are really amazing. I pulled up some random website from a semi-random internet search and found that there are 15 benefits from frogs. I'll give you a selection of these. Frogs are biological monitors, they say. When they're present, that means it's good. It means the environment is good for them. If they're not there, it means there's some sort of pollution around. Frogs acted as a pest controller. They may eat many different kinds of insects. Frogs protect crops by reducing the insect population. They act as a preventative measure for disease outbreak because they eat things like mosquitoes that carry malaria. Frogs can treat many diseases. Apparently, wild frogs and their poisons can be used to treat tropical diseases. Frogs act as a water regulator. The tadpoles eat up algae and keep a proper balance in the water. Frogs keep the food chain balanced. Not only do they eat insects, but they're also eaten by other animals, lizards and monkeys, snakes, birds. Of course, frogs help in biology classes. (laughs) They help with new research and testing. And for some, frogs are a delicacy. But frogs are best in moderation. With this plague, once again, the sacred Nile of Egypt proves to be a source of contamination and even death for the Egyptians. God said that the Nile will swarm with frogs. When God created the world, in Genesis 1, swarming things were good. It says in Genesis 1.21, So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good because they're in their proper place in their proper quantity, although they're to be fruitful and multiply, 
But in this case, they come up from the Nile and into houses and bedrooms and beds. And now the Nile, that is that sacred place of life for Egypt, proves to be a place that swarming frogs come from that is a curse. One children's storybook Bible puts it this way. So God made frogs come hopping and leaping and jumping. In your bed, frogs. In your hair, frogs. In your soup, frogs. All over everywhere, frogs. In a moment, the previously controllable world of Pharaoh proves to be uncontrollable by a swarm of hopping, jumping frogs. Pharaoh's world is out of control. It's chaos. The plague exposes Pharaoh's inability to control his world. The plagues reveal then the powerlessness of Pharaoh. The plagues reveal the powerlessness of the one who is afflicted by them. One of the gods of Egypt was Heket, that's the way you pronounce it, represented in the form of a frog. She was the goddess of fertility and would be thought of as the goddess of childbirth. The gods of Egypt were tasked with keeping control and order in the land of Egypt. But now with Yahweh coming to deliver his people, He's displaying his power over the land of Egypt and those gods that the Egyptians worshipped that were supposed to keep order and control in the land of Egypt seem to have lost their grip on things. And there is a complete inability to compete with Yahweh. They are powerless. And Pharaoh, who is tasked with keeping control over Egypt and himself considered a god, has no control. He is powerless. Ironically, the magicians, in verse 7, did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, any conscious reader thinks at this moment, what good does that do? We don't want more frogs. We want less frogs. (laughs) We think if they're worth anything, those magicians would take away the frogs, not add more. So finally, Pharaoh is driven to do something. He at least concedes his powerlessness to reverse this plague. With the Nile, he seemed unimpressed. Now he has to take some action. And we get something of his mentality here. The position of powerlessness temporarily drives Pharaoh to concede victory. Position of powerlessness temporarily drives Pharaoh to concede victory. As as we often do, 
when we want something from God, usually some relief from something, we make some sort of promise. God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. Pharaoh calls in verse 8 Moses and Aaron and says, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Pharaoh finally shows some inclination to do what the Lord has commanded of him, to do what he previously refused to do. But you have to ask the question, is there really any change of heart? Or has he just been pushed into a corner and will do anything to get out of it? Temporarily, he concedes this victory. Temporarily, he promises obedience. But note, Pharaoh's desperation for relief does not equate with true humility. Pharaoh's desperation for relief does not equate with true humility. You would think that this would be the moment where Pharaoh raises the white flag, that he would have a broken and contrite heart. He would bend the knee before Yahweh. He's asked Moses and Aaron, Plead for me. Plead for me. Plead with Yahweh. Take these frogs from me. You pause for a moment. Just think how ridiculous this is. It's just frogs. Just frogs. Probably not even poisonous ones. Not like poison dart frogs. They're just Nile River frogs. Pharaoh concedes. He needs Yahweh's intervention. Moses replies, verse 9, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants, and for your people. Moses puts the ball back in Pharaoh's court. When would you like me to do this? It gives Pharaoh a chance to express his heart, to reveal what's going on. Of course, anybody's going to want those frogs to be gone. Moses says, when do you want me to intercede for you? And Pharaoh's response, tomorrow. What in the world? Why would Pharaoh wait one more moment? I wonder what Pharaoh's wife thought about that. We'll just wait one more day, dear, for these frogs to go. It's not rational, but a hardened heart is not rational. Moses agrees to the delay with the purpose that Pharaoh might know that there is none like our God. In verse 13, The Lord did according to the word of Moses. Moses intercedes. The Lord hears Moses' words, and in a striking turn of phrase, 
It wasn't that Moses did, as the Lord said. It's the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Reminds you of James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Not that we can manipulate God. Certainly this doesn't come in any way against the purposes and plans of God. But it does show that intercession has real effectiveness. Moses humbles himself before the Lord, pleads for Pharaoh. Some are humbled before the power and mercy of the rock of ages. And some are crushed by it. For Pharaoh, he is going to find himself in the latter category. Because the stench of Pharaoh's refusal will linger in everyone's nostrils. Frogs died out in the houses, courtyards, and fields. And they gathered them together in heaps. The Hebrew literally says, in heaps. Heaps! To picture for us with a vivid representation that these frogs are piled high. And it says in the land, stank. The aftermath of the plague is no better than the plague itself. There's a stench that fills the land And it serves as a reminder of the power of God and the stubborn refusal of Pharaoh. There you have those frogs piled high, causing a stench through the land. Powerful reminder of what Pharaoh's refusal to obey brought on Egypt. This judgment came because Pharaoh refused God, and now the land smells like death. This would be a moment for people to soberly consider their fate before this mighty God, Yahweh. Just the smell should make them think, where do they stand before this God? Pharaoh should see the heaps should smell the stench and think, where do I stand before this God, Yahweh? The Lord has given us our senses to interact with the world that he put us in. Some of the senses that we have perceive wonderful and delightful things. We can see the beauty of a winter sunrise, summer sunset. We can hear the delightful sound of wind rustling through the leaves. We can smell the delicious smells of apple pies. We can feel the delightful trickle of a brook over our toes. But those same senses that God gives us to interact with the world can also perceive awful things. Like the stench of rotting frog carcasses. And we conclude, this is unpleasant. We can see with our eyes images that are frightening, that make our heart pound. We can hear sounds that make us terrified. We can taste tastes that 
make us feel like we've been poisoned. And all these senses are meant to make us think, the delightful ones, to make us think there is a good God who gives us delightful things. And the awful ones are meant to produce in us a fear, a trembling of the power and might of the God who can bring judgment in a moment. And for a However long afterwards, as those frog carcasses decay and there's that stench of death in the land, they should not just smell rotting frog carcasses. They should smell the stench of a life lived in refusal to God. That is the stench of death brought about by sin. Right now in our world... We have the perfumes of amusements, of seared consciences, of lies about morality, and these perfumes try to cover the stench of death, and they do a pretty good job. But the breeze of God's word can blow those away in a moment. And you smell the world as it really is, a world full of refusal to God. Or you might smell the stench of your own heart, a heart that is refusing God, and he brings judgment on sin. The smell that filled the land of Egypt was to be a reminder that there is a God, Yahweh, that you do not refuse. We got a blow away the perfumes of our world and realize that we live in a world full of death and decay. And let that be a reminder to us of the consequences of our sin. Frogs may be dead, but the aftermath of the refusal by Pharaoh lives on in the noses of the Egyptians. So we also consider the mindset of Pharaoh. We learn that even the hardest of hearts loves relief. Even the hardest of hearts loves relief. It says in verse 15, when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. You should read this with a bit of a knot in your stomach. Pharaoh saw that there was a respite from the plague of God. And to our thinking minds, we should be concluding that should lead Pharaoh to prostrate himself on the ground. And worship Yahweh for his mercy to bring relief. But it says, when he saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. You might think then when Pharaoh asks Moses and Aaron to plead for him, something changed in his heart. The hardened heart is not dead to the desire for relief from suffering. 
They haven't lost senses of pain. They still have a working pain system, and they want to escape. But the same selfishness that drove them into the pain is the same selfishness that wants to get them out of the pain. And they have no desire to have a contrition before the God who brought the pain. And so Pharaoh's heart is really the same. It's stubborn and increases in stubbornness. And notice that Pharaoh does not do what he had promised. He said, if you do this for me, I will let the people go. Pharaoh gets what he wants and sweeps his promise under the rug. Pharaoh is possessing an unrepentant heart. But this is not to make us think that things are out of control for Yahweh. Because that verse 15 concludes with, as the Lord had said. Remember, God had said this was going to come about all along. Before it ever happened, God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. What about these gnats? First frogs, then come gnats, verse 16, without any interaction with Moses, or with Aaron, sorry, with Pharaoh, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. No interaction with Pharaoh. Sudden, swift plague comes on Egypt. Perhaps it's because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart at the end of the last plague that God just sends this one. Just another one. No warning. What these gnats are is hard to determine. Um, Various designations have been given. Perhaps mosquitoes. Perhaps lice. Whatever it is, we don't exactly know, but we would conclude it's some annoying bug probably more than just an annoyance. Pesky, and in great quantities, because God had commands that Aaron would strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And all the dust, in verse 17, became gnats in all the land of Egypt. I think a few mosquitoes on a warm summer night is an inconvenience. These are swarms, either lice or mosquitoes, something that you don't want anywhere near you, on man and beasts. The dust is a reminder that man was formed from the dust. And now God uses that same kind of dust to produce a plague against the man that he formed from dust. And again, we see the created order that is meant to be orderly turns towards chaos and that brings a curse on the people who live in that chaotic world. Not only are the gnats pesky, you also have these pesky magicians who try by their secret arts to produce gnats, but this time they're not able to. The text doesn't tell us exactly why. It could be because now this plague doesn't have anything to do with the Nile, and now it's dealing with dry land. 
But either way, I think it's fair to conclude this is the activity of sovereign God who says, no more. This is done. No more fooling around. The magicians don't have access to the same kind of power that God has access to. And the conclusion now from verse 19 is that the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The magicians get it. They understand as they're not able to do what Aaron had done, they conclude this is the finger of God. A display of his vast might and power. The question is, will Pharaoh get it? But even when the magicians concede it, Pharaoh does not. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. What do we take away from this? Well, certainly there are a lot of lessons to take away. We can just summarize briefly a few. Take care not to refuse the Lord. Know also that the judgments of God expose our fragile relationship with the world in which we live and how that balance can be upset with no remedy that's available to us. Judgment brings the upheaval of the universe. Judgment bring, brought for Pharaoh the upheaval of his order, the bringing of frogs into his place of residence, and then gnats everywhere. As you read about the judgment that's to come, in Revelation 20, verse 11, it shows the upheaval of the universe. Then I saw, John records in Revelation 20, 11, a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. That's before everyone is brought before the throne of the Lord to be judged The whole universe is kind of swept away in a moment so you don't have anything to stand on that you used to consider safe ground. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken The frogs and the gnats are just a foretaste of the total upheaval and chaos that will come on our world. I'm not sure we realize how much comfort we take in just the routines of the world that we live in. That the sun rose this morning. That it's going to set this evening. That the moon will come out. That the stars are there. That oxygen is available to our lungs. That we have gravity that works. That the chemical bonds always are holding themselves together. All of this of the created order is available to us day after day and we take it for granted. And we don't realize the fragility of our relationship with this created order that in a moment at the word of God can all be undone. And we have no access any longer to the created world that we live in. And every confidence that we have is just stripped away in a moment. Confidences we didn't even realize that we had. 
the normalcy, the reliability of nature, the seasons, all gone before us in a moment. What is your confidence in that day? There's only one confidence that will hold. Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father who makes intercession for us, who pleads his own blood. That is fixed, and that will never go away. Do you realize the fragility of the world in which you live? To think that we live in a world that's under control or that we can control the world in which we live is just an illusion. Do you recall just a few months ago on Halloween, there's a stampede in South Korea that took 156 lives. In 2004, there was a tsunami that claimed 227,000 lives. Mosquitoes kill one to two million people a year. There are over 400,000 homicides every year. We can't control man. We can't control mosquitoes. We can't control the water. In a moment, God can bring it all to bear upon us. We live in a world that is dangerous with fragile bodies. Discomfort and much worse can come in a moment. What is your only confidence? Christ, our hope in life and death. God's power in judgment may bring discomfort, could bring fear, but it doesn't necessarily bring repentance. This is the final lesson we need to take to heart. How many times have we had something come upon us that brings us to a a sense of dependency, a sense of awareness of our lack of control, and that thing passes, and our life proceeds as it always has been? We enjoy the comfort of relief without the repentance that it demands of us. We live every day with dangers surrounding us, a world full of sin, our own lives displaying our wicked hearts. How are we to respond to these things? Jesus says in Luke 13, in response to a question that's asked of him when there was a mingling of blood into sacrifices when Pilate slayed some Galileans, and they asked Jesus, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We must re- treat relief from judgment with thanks rather than with hardness. With repentance rather than returning to our own old ways. God is powerful. Of course, he brings judgment. He hasn't brought his final judgment yet. Recall Pharaoh when asked when he wants the frogs to go go away. What did he say? tomorrow. What does God say? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You're not guaranteed that. Find the confidence in the mercy of God, or you will find him to be the judge who does not relent against the hardened heart. Let's pray. Father, these passages are meant for our instruction to correct us. Lord, you've been abundantly merciful to us. We take confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ who delivers us from every plague of wrath that you would send upon us that we rightly deserve. And we know that your perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with judgment. And so we thank you, Father, that we don't have to live in fear of judgment, but Lord, we don't also want to ignore the lessons that are here for us. Let's be a humble people, Lord. Make us contrite of spirit. Help us to be sober to the realities of the world that we live in and cognizant of your great power that will bring judgment over all of the earth. Strip any confidence that we have except for the confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. And thank you that you remind us of your severity as well as your kindness. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.